Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with my friend Andy who, coincidentally, runs a YouTube channel called Your Friend Andy, where he discusses personal finance and investing-related topics, especially when it comes to the best tools and the best services to use in your personal financial life. We speak about his YouTube channel and entrepreneurship in general. We also talk about how Andy got a relatively late start on personal finance and investing, but how it's not too late for anyone to find their financial footing, and Andy is evidence of that. We spend the latter half of our conversation talking specifically about Bitcoin, since that's something Andy has found big success investing in. Andy is a great guy, and his YouTube channel is both informative and entertaining, and I think that combination comes across in our conversation today. So, without further ado, I give you your friend Andy on episode 15 of the Best Interest Podcast. My guest today runs successful YouTube channels with a combined 70 million views. Yes, you heard that right, 70 million views. And within the past year, he started a new channel dedicated to personal finance and investing-related content. It's already got a ton of momentum behind it. So I spent this morning actually catching up on a a backlog of videos that I'd missed before. And not only are they informative, but most of them actually make me laugh out loud. He's not a wonderkind. He's not a teenage sensation. No, he's got a relatively late start in his personal finance journey and also in his YouTube entrepreneurship journey. And I think that's something that many of us can relate to. It's not too late. I'm excited to talk about all that and more today. So joining us live from Austin, Texas, it's Andy, aka your friend Andy on YouTube. Andy, good morning, my friend. How are you doing? Good morning, Jesse. Great to see you. Glad to be here. Excited. Excellent. Me as well. And so, Andy, I've got a kind of a classic question, I think, to start us today. So for the people listening in who aren't familiar with you, tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do, kind of your two-minute elevator pitch life story, if that's uh, possible to condense in two minutes. Yeah. So I am a, I'm certainly a lifelong entrepreneur, but I did deviate from that path after college and um, briefly had a stint in the uh, corporate and normal nine to five world. Uh, but in 2014, I uh, kind of uh, transitioned from the nine to five to my own small business that I run with my wife. We started that on the side. It grew to be as big as the nine to five. And then we were at that inflection point, uh, transitioned over to um working for myself again, which is what I had done all along before that. And uh, out of that, I have many interests, many things I like doing. And all those things tend to have their own little side hustles, uh, income opportunities, uh, things uh, along the way. And so uh, that transitioned again into starting on the side, a YouTube channel um, called Burger Fiction. And Burger Fiction was a cinema channel. Well, still is a cinema channel. It's still there. I just don't actively uh, work on it uh, right now. Um, a cinema channel where we do supercuts, movie reviews, um, video essays. I did uh, created this channel with my my good friend Jonathan, and that just kind of blew up. Um, uh, millions of views, uh, many if quite a few videos with over a million views, 70, 70 million total views across the channel. Um, One hundred fifty thousand subscribers. Uh, it was really fun to build. Uh, really fun to make that content and see it resonate with people and stuff like that. And then YouTube demonetized us for uh, using. Um, uh, clips from movies. It turns out movie studios are very protective of their material. And, uh, but I still had this love of YouTube and creating and doing video. And I wanted to do more on camera stuff. And uh, so I took my love of personal finance, investing, cryptocurrency, um, all this good stuff, and wrapped it up into the new channel, which is what I've been working on for the past year. I actually started this last June, so almost exactly a year. Uh, and it's a channel all about money and stuff. And it's, uh, it, it has exceeded all my expectations 
so far. I set some very basic metrics for it and it has uh, pushed through those. So I think I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to delete it tomorrow. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at now. And uh, that kind of rolled into trying to build a brand online, which uh, is the second place I've been doing that is Twitter, which is where I met you, Jesse. And I've had really uh, fun growth on Twitter too. And it's been just a blast, like connecting with people and chatting with people and, sh and swapping ideas and stuff. So that's kind of my current uh, where I'm at. I can tell that you had experience with burger fiction because you are a natural on your YouTube channel, on your videos. You've got a great a great video presence and, and they're very entertaining. Like I was saying earlier, you know, I find myself laughing out loud at your, your jokes, your Christopher Walken impressions, those kind of things. That was, um, pre that was pretty, <laughs> pretty bad, but I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, I want to go back actually to one thing you said at the beginning though, you mentioned starting in the corporate world and having to take a bit of a, a leap of faith, maybe to transition over into small business that, that you and your wife were running and, and kind of this self-starter entrepreneurship life and taking that leap, at least from my point of view is, is sounds difficult. It's something I've thought about. It gives me some stress. So I'm just curious, could you talk us through that thought process? If you go back in time and, and how you took that leap of faith? Yeah. So it was one of those things where I was spending so much time on the side hustle side business, which is really at that time, a full on business that um, I was spending all this time at my nine to five job and then coming home and just spending all my waking hours um, on this side business. And uh, it was kind of where if I wanted to have a healthy life work balance, I had to make a decision. Um, and also I have kind of come to realize that uh, I'm the type of person who I just don't, I just don't, uh, thrive in the corporate nine to five um, kind of rule following like a uh, world where I have someone who's telling me what to do, what projects to work on. Um, the whole idea of working uh, towards building someone else's dreams versus the things I think about, dream about uh, is not something that is super appealing uh, to me. So it was kind of a, a natural thing for me to make that transition, uh, but it is certainly a very scary uh, transition. And there's there's ways you can do it that are smarter than the way I did it. I mean, I tell people on Twitter, if you're going to do something like that, it's like save up six to 12 months of expenses in an account, You know, get all your ducks in a row. That way you have some runway to where you don't feel any pressure to make money immediately on whatever the venture is that you're leaving your nine to five for. I did not do that. I just had a successful uh, side uh, business. And so the cash flow was there, but uh, we, you know, we did not have the savings set aside. We didn't uh, have those, those things. So it was, it was definitely a bigger leap of faith than I think you need to do in that situation, because I really think that nine to fives, uh, I have no hate towards them. And people, there's plenty of people who love doing them. And I think that they can be wealth creation vehicles. Um, it's absolutely possible. I know a bunch of people on Twitter who use their nine to fives and just spend way less than they make and invest as much as they possibly can. And they are wealthy people and others who are on that path and will be wealthy people. So you, you had mentioned there that when you took the, the, the leap, if you will, into entrepreneurship, that maybe some of your I think you were saying your savings or your emergency fund maybe wasn't quite where you wanted it to be. And just from some of the conversations we've had on Twitter, it sounds like compared to some of the young guns out there who are getting their investing and getting their finances in line right at age 22, if not younger, maybe you, it took you a few extra years to kind of figure out where you wanted to go in personal finances or where you should be. So for those listeners who maybe are in a similar boat, getting a bit of a later start than they wish they had, what kind of advice or what kind of lessons could you offer them? Yeah. So anybody who is like 18 to 25 and is already investing a huge portion of their income, way to go. I wish I'd done that. Uh, that's amazing to me. Um, I definitely learned those lessons much later. Uh, I spent all my 20s with bad money habits, spending often more than we made. Uh, Love those credit cards. Higher the interest rate, the better, you know, making some real dumb moves. Uh, but I mean, I think the the lesson I have learned and the and a thing I try to communicate often is it's it's never too late as long as you do start. Now you might uh, it might be tougher to catch up. 
and you might not have as much to show for it, but you will have something to show for it. And that something is going to be far better than if you hadn't tried. Um, man, we, we basically, I went into my thirties with a bunch of debt and, uh, not making as much as now and having next to no investments other than I opened a Roth IRA, but I hadn't really contributed to it. Um, and, uh, and the past decade has just been a whirlwind of um, just aggressively um, investing as much as possible, choosing the right things and uh, just playing catch up, but, but in a big way, uh, really getting ahead of where I thought I would be at this point, I guess. There's that old saying, best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. Uh, I had a conversation yesterday with a a 55 year old who basically said that within the last 12 calendar months is the first time he really thought about investing in the stock market, investing in index funds, those kind of things. And he realized the more he learned that he kind of missed a, you know, some pretty good opportunities in his younger years, but he was still uh, encouraged and enthusiastic about the fact that Maybe over the next 10 or 15 years, he's going to be able to build some wealth that otherwise he wouldn't have. And uh, yeah, there's no use crying over spilled milk, especially when you've kind of proven with, with your life or with your work in these past, you know, six, 10 years that you can catch up pretty quickly if you, if you find a, a product that people enjoy. And it sounds like with your YouTube channel, that is certainly something that's happening. So can you tell us a little bit about your your finance and investing YouTube channel that you put together? Yeah, so that was started a year ago. And I started it with one kind of metric to measure myself with, which was if in one year, I don't have a 1000 subscribers on the channel, and it's not monetized via the YouTube um, ad uh, program, uh, the partner program, then it was a failure. It was uh, scrap that one, move on to the next idea. And uh, I have exceeded the, that, thankfully, a year, a year later. Um, but the, the goal was, can I talk about money? Can I talk about investing? Can I talk about these things? And can I do it in a way that um, I can get ahead of, you know, uh, all this massive competition that is on YouTube and find my little slice of success on the platform? And can I have fun doing it? And uh, can I make interesting stuff that even I like? And uh, so far, yeah, I've been able to do those things, which is cool. And I've learned just like a ton along the way. Uh, Burger Fiction taught me a lot about YouTube, but I realized that I still didn't know that much uh, after kind of diving back in from scratch in this day and age, uh, because there is so there's so many people on YouTube. It's unbelievable amounts of content. There's like years worth of video content uploaded every single day to YouTube, which mm-hmm. is which is wild to me. Um, but uh, literally, when I started my channel, I kind of scanned the landscape, and I was, I was created a spreadsheet of all these other channels I found, everything from like the super popular ones, like, ooh, what are they doing right? What can I learn from them? But also just who started this year, also who's a tiny channel? Um, what you know, what are they doing? What is the, what's their uh, channel about? Uh, what aspect of personal finance, etc.? How big are they? And then I kind of tracked a bunch of those, and I literally cataloged, starting in 2020 like four to 500 plus channels uh, that were also starting personal finance channels same year as me. Um, and there was actually more than that. Those are just the ones I thought maybe had some like chance of success and stuff. I saw some little spark of pot- potential there. Um, so it is, uh, it is certainly a, a very popular and saturated space, but I really believe that that just means it's proven and it works. And if you do the right things, if you have the right system, if you have the right mindset, if you're willing to work on things, practice things, improve things, that you can find your own little slice of that. I think I've proved that. Um, I don't think I'm particularly smart or special or anything, uh, but I did go into it with a plan. I went into it with a system um, and I went into it with expectations that my first 50 to 100 videos are going to suck, like get through them as fast <laughs> as I possibly can. Uh, watch every single video I put out there and like look at that thing critically. What, what did I do uh, poorly in this video? What did I do well? What resonated? What didn't? Uh, what topics work? Um, and then just like figuring out how to get into the, uh, the algorithm, into search and finding, carving my little uh, section of YouTube. Um, but it's been, it's been a, a big time blast and fun, fun to share all this stuff on Twitter too. 
Well, that's awesome. So many things you said right there, Andy, resonate with me at least. And I think for any of the listeners out there who are thinking about undertaking some sort of creative endeavor, I think they could probably learn a few things from that. So one of the first ones right off the top that you mentioned was you wanted to have fun with it. And as long as it was fun, you would, you would keep going. It's something I feel about the blog and the podcast, because there are days when you feel like your viewership or readership is down, or you're, you're unsure what to create next. And it, it, it's, it's a tough life out there sometimes as, as a content creator, as an entrepreneur. But if you're having fun with it, that certainly makes the days go by better. The second thing you mentioned was having a system in place. And I can just tell by the way you make videos and from some of our conversations about some of the help you get with editing and putting things together, that you have a system in place of how to find topics. You've done your research. That's amazing research, by the way, looking at hundreds of other accounts to see what they're doing. So having a system and, and not just kind of going into things willy-nilly. And then the third thing you mentioned, Andy, was you had a goal at the beginning. A thousand subscribers, monetizing via YouTube ads, and being able to work towards that goal and see your progress towards that goal will be in my opinion, intrinsically motivating. And, and I bet you found some motivation as you passed your goal and now you've, you've far exceeded it. So for anybody out there who's looking into getting into something like that, I think Andy's kind of paved a, a great path for you to follow. Yeah, the, the whole uh, like enjoying it portion of it. I mean, really, if you're going into, if you're going to make a podcast or a blog or a YouTube channel or a Twitter account and the your express purpose and goal is to make money with it is purely a monetary thing. You can probably still find success maybe, but if you don't immediately find that success, if it's not, if it's not short term, uh, that grind to get to the success eventually, if you don't enjoy the process, then good luck to you. But I don't, I don't believe most people can be successful doing that. I think you have to, there has to be some part of the equation that, you like doing. Uh, and if there's not parts of the equation you don't like doing, well, then figure out which ones you do like, focus on those, and then have other people help you with the other stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Like I do not, I, 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 uh, my background is creative work. Uh, my last, my last nine to five, I was a creative director at a tech company. And um, I would, I, I would, be in the, the trenches of that sometimes where I was actually doing video editing and stuff myself. So I have lots of background doing these things, but I do not enjoy it. Like it is not my, I don't wake up every day like, Ooh, gee, I want to edit a video today. <laughs> so I knew that my goal was very quickly um, to hire someone to help me with that, that part of the process. And so now I hire other parts of the process too, but uh, yeah, offloading that, the non-enjoyment portion of it and focusing on the part I really enjoy, which is, what am I going to talk about? Um, research, you know, uh, some of the uh, writing aspects of it uh, and uh, really enjoy the being in front of the camera. It's, I have a lot of fun, like recording the videos and working on the timing and delivery and stuff like that. That's the part I enjoy. And then of course the pushing something I created out into the world, like a newborn child, uh, just seeing how the world responds. Is, is it going to get thumbs down? Is it going to get lots of likes, <laughs> lots of views? You know, what's going to happen? Uh, that part is the rewarding part is, you know, seeing people uh, excited about something you made. And that's, that's the probably the part that I uh, enjoyed the most in the process, which makes, you know, some of the other stuff uh, that's not so fun, bearable. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole, that's like such a big thing for people. If they just figure out something that they can make money with, but it's something they in, enjoy some portion of it to some degree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Seeing people react to your work is a, it's a hard feeling to replicate in any other way to know that you created something and that other people are, are getting so much enjoyment about it or from it, I should say. Um, but are you familiar, uh, Andy, with the long tail or the idea of the long tail? I mean, I know before. what long tail is. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I've, I've read that particular. It just, something you said reminded me of it. And it's something I hear uh, some of my favorite content creators talk about. You had mentioned that if someone wants to get into this arena with the explicit expectation of making money, they might be sorely disappointed. And, and part of the explanation or the reason why is, like you said, there are so many content creators out there, whether it's on YouTube or blogging or TikTok or Instagram and the distribution, if you were to graph it of say um, 
success versus, you know, number of people who reach that much success, what you're going to see is this tiny percentage over on the left-hand side of people, a tiny percentage of people who see tons of success. Like on YouTube, is it Graham Stephen Stefan? Is that his Graham name? Stephen, Graham yeah. Stephan. Andre so, Jick. These are a few of the like top finance YouTubers. Yep. Right. So they're probably getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a month from their channels. Oh yeah. They're right. Unbelievable. Like you would, you look at their, they, they still make occasionally like how much I made on YouTube uh-huh. videos. And it's just like you made in one month more than the majority of people make in years. Yep. This is unbelievable. You can make this on this platform. Right. And then past them, the, this you've got this really tall peak, and then the distribution quickly drops close to zero, where you have this really long tail of, you know, sure, you've got a little section where it's maybe like the 1% of people who are probably like you, Andy, who are making, say, a few thousand dollars a month, which is really good for, for you know, putting these videos together. And then beyond them, you have the other 99.5% or whatever of people who are essentially making zero. They're putting in the effort, but the quality isn't quite there or the consistency isn't quite there. And if they're not having fun, they're not going to stick around. It's hard to stay motivated. So having fun with this project or with your project is has got to be vital. Yeah. And, and I don't want that to be misinterpreted into the, because I really don't believe in follow your passion. Uh, like, I think if you have something that you're really passionate about uh, and you want to pursue that as your hobby or just to do or whatever, uh, that is a great follow your passion. I don't believe in follow your passion as a like as career advice. Uh, I think that that is a quick way to ruin your passion yeah. uh, personally. Um, I think I mean, I am passionate about YouTube. I like the platform. I, I love creating for it and stuff like that. but. It is, uh, it is, it has enough of that aspect of business to it that it is a sustainable thing. And I'm not passionate about every single aspect of it. Um, but yeah, there is a, you know, million people out there who are trying hard and who are on that far end of the scale for sure. But I really do believe that, I mean, I, I, it, it's impossible for everybody to, to also, you know, blow up on, on a single platform. It's just the, the numbers aren't there to, to make that make sense. But I really do believe that everyone has a shot at it. Mm-hmm. And that if things aren't working, there are potentially things that anyone who is creating on the platform can do to give themselves a greater chance at that success. And I also believe that you don't need to have the Graham Stefan like ultra star success to have a sustainable, workable business on many of these platforms. Um, I, I always go back to uh, the article by um, Kevin Kelly, the mm. thousand true fans, which yes. is one of my favorite things. You just need to find your like hardcore audience, figure out your extreme little niche and just get enough like amazing fans that will support you in that. And you can have a full time living. It might be more modest than some of these like rock star, superstar people on on social media. But it is absolutely something that is like workable, sustainable, um, uh, doable. Um, so I I have no intentions. I mean, it'd be cool if I blow up and turn into one of those superstars. I don't personally know that I have have it in me to do that. Uh, I I will be very satisfied to take a slice of that pie and just uh, invest as much of that slice uh, once I receive it as I can, and then build my own little financial uh, independence over here. But um, I do think that mo- that a lot of people on the platform, they uh, if they're doing things uh, and uh, they're getting the same results with the same amount of effort, then they just need to look at that stuff critically and and uh, see what are things that they can do to improve and give themselves a greater chance at finding some success uh, out there. Excellent. Yeah, the, the pie that you mentioned is much bigger than I think a lot of people understand, right? The power of the internet is unbelievable and it's getting bigger and bigger it's wild right you know software is eating the world so they say and and the power of the internet and the ability to reach people through the internet and social media and youtube google you know google search is my biggest way of reaching people it it's unbelievable um so yeah i mean i think that was really well put andy uh but now i want to switch gears a little bit just a tiny bit because 
for our listeners who want some, some hard personal finance or investing content, I know that one thing that you have invested in in the past few years has been cryptocurrency. So for some of our listeners who say uh, they've seen cryptocurrency in the news, they aren't sure whether to pull the trigger. I'm just wondering if you could just talk us through your rationale, you know, because uh, I think you have a really balanced rationale on why you've chosen to invest in cryptocurrency and kind of what you see for the future of that. So do you mind talking through a little bit about crypto? Yeah. And so my, my investments in crypto is like 80% Bitcoin. Um, and the rest of it is stuff that uh, is mostly stuff that I did not invest money directly into. Is stuff that I mined. I have crypt. I have a crypto mining rigs, mm-hmm. uh, video card GPU mining rigs, and that has allowed me to invest in other current cryptocurrencies at a reduced discounted rate. I pay the electricity, but I get out coins. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly, I am a big proponent and believer in Bitcoin, and uh, that bet has paid off very well for me in the past uh, three and a half years. But I think for anybody who is serious, like uh, serious about building wealth, serious about investing, and they're not willing to even put one percent of their portfolio into Bitcoin, uh, I think that is a pretty big mistake. The upside potential is massive. The downside is you what you're risking one percent of your portfolio. Tiny, tiny downside. And the reason I think it's worth a bet is because like what you just said, uh, software has taken over the world. The internet, you know, was uh, first invented in what, the 60s? And it didn't really start getting some traction until the 90s and really the 2000s. So it's had a long path, but now it is this unstoppable monster. And right now in the world, there are only two fiat currencies that haven't failed uh, catastrophically at some point, and that is the US dollar, and the British pound. And I mean, I think it's inevitable that we're that, you know, fiat paper money, uh, centrally controlled, it just I can't see it in a future where the internet has taken over decentralized systems uh, are becoming more and more popular where global economy is more important than uh, country specific economy. Um, I see Bitcoin as uh, a future world reserve currency. I see um, when you build on top of it, uh, uh, layer two, layer three technologies on Bitcoin, I see it as a replacement for a global currency. Um, It is a finite, provable, um, zero terminal um, velocity inflation rate currency that is... um, that is protected and um, the blockchain is uh, mathematically proven globally by the most powerful supercomputer ever conceived by mankind. Um, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very bullish on um, Bitcoin. I believe very strongly in it. Um, I'm not one of those crazy people who tries to convince everybody of these things and like shouts to people if they say that they're not buying it, (laughs) that have fun staying poor or any of the (laughs) stereotypical Bitcoiner things. Um, but I have obviously made a very big bet on it. Mm-hmm. And I think the next five to 10 years is going to be very eye-opening uh, to see what happens um, in the space. I just, and I also, I just see it as just solving so many problems. Like right now, you know, uh, if you want to have a store of value, for example, a lot of people turn to gold, but gold is, it, there is the supply is um, unknown. It's way more um, available than uh, than people think. It's it's not finite. Um, it's readily available, um, and it's hard to move around. Like, have you ever you right. know, tried to transport gold? It's like Bitcoin <laughs> solves all those problems while being provably finite. Um, have a having a provably finite um, amount, and so I just see all these things and see us going to a fully digital future, a fully internet interconnected world. And I'm like, there is no way we're not going to have a, a global digital um, uh, means of currency, means of value. And for me, because of mainly network effect, um, it's history, uh, mm-hmm. the, the momentum behind it. I see that as Bitcoin. That, I mean, the, you, I think you hit the bull case right on the head. Uh, I've got a quick anecdote for you, Andy, and then a follow-up mm-hmm. question. 
So the yes. anecdote is that uh, so back in 2017, a couple friends were talking about cryptocurrency and I decided to throw $1,000 at it. I quickly tripled my money. So I pulled like half of that tripling out to get my principal back and I left the rest in. It was in uh, Ripple XRP, which has, you know, <laughs> has had some ups and downs recently, but is still up. So I think, you know, out of $1,000 I initially put in, I got my 1000 back and it's still worth, I don't know, four or $5,000. Okay, slap myself on the back. But then, um, but then I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I believe it. But when all the hubbub was starting to roil up again, uh, I would say late 2020, I decided to really do my research over Christmas break. And so I spent a few days just reading and consuming as much as I could to understand how it worked. I wrote a kind of behemoth of an article, something like it's like 7,000 words. It's like a 25 page article explaining how Bitcoin works on, on the blog. You wrote because a book on Bitcoin. Basically, I wrote, I wrote an ebook. I wrote a Gumroad ebook on Bitcoin and, and published it on my blog. And uh, because I kind of realized, well, it does make sense, right? The blockchain makes sense. The way that transactions are um, approved and confirmed, it makes sense to me. Uh, and so I did. What I ended up doing was taking about 1% of my investment portfolio and I put it into a, uh, a Bitcoin mutual fund. Uh, one of two Bitcoin mutual funds, I believe, that are SEC approved. So I do. I do have a little exposure to Bitcoin because like you said, there's an asymmetric bet there where the downside compared to the upside, you know, if, if the upside happens, if the bull case happens, you're going to be happy you had a little bit of exposure there. But the one question I did have for you, Andy, and this is a bit of a devil's advocate question, is I think about Aunt Ethel. Not necessarily my Aunt Ethel, but all the Aunt Ethels out there who maybe they're old school. They listen to Dave Ramsey. They still pay cash for everything. They don't even really trust credit cards. How are we going to convince those people that Bitcoin, something that's very ethereal, something that only exists on the internet really, is the way, is the payment that they should adopt? So I don't know that we need to convince those people, honestly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, tr people tried to say in the, uh, the 90s and 2000s to all the newspapers, your time has come, you are being replaced, the internet is here. And, you know, everyone said there's no way, you know, these things, there's not, not possible. Uh, it's like technology and progress, like you can try to stand in front of it. You can try to stand in front of the train and stop it but if it is an inevitable um progression forward then good luck it's it's still going to happen um that doesn't mean that you know you, you can't be successful i'm not uh, i'm personally convinced bitcoin is inevitable uh that doesn't mean it's a definitive answer that that is going to happen but i also think that in in the next decade uh, it's not going to matter you know if you have um people who are not fully convinced about it because it is going to be the backing for a lot of the things that they use without even realizing they're using Bitcoin. Um, for example, I'm, I really love uh, Square and Square has the cash app and they have an incredibly easy like buying and selling Bitcoin process in their app. But uh, just from a, you know, sending money payments back and forth process, uh, that whole back end for them could easily be based in Bitcoin in the, in the future. And people will just use the cash app. They'll just use the, the Venmo or the PayPal app or whatever mm -hmm. it is, and they will, it'll be completely invisible in the background what is actually making the uh, transactions happen, what it's actually based on. It'll just be people using apps and stuff. It's all invisible, just like the current financial system is basically invisible to most people. Like, you know, ask people how ACH transfers work. Like, well, my bank sends money to my other bank, and that's the answer, you know? Right. Uh, the, eventually, this stuff is going to be so uh, so well integrated uh, and uh, well um, uh, used that it's going to be invisible in the background. So it won't matter if the person's a believer or not. They'll probably be using it regardless. Our dollars are simply numbers in a spreadsheet somewhere, right? My bank does not have, well, they, they might have my emergency fund worth of cash sitting there, but they certainly don't have all of the bank's accounts cash sitting there. It's just numbers in a ledger. And Bitcoin is really nothing but numbers in a ledger, that ledger being the blockchain, right? 
the, the other thing I would like to say, just based on what you just said, that one of the most attractive things to me is dollars. Like you said, they are numbers in a spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is controlled by a small group of people. Um, a spreadsheet that is zeros are added to by a small group of people with uh, no input from me, uh, with no long-term plan other than what is made up in that given year or that given couple year span. Uh, and so that inherently makes me not super excited about keeping dollars because uh, I want something that I know what the runway looks like for a long period of time. And that's one of the um, single most attractive things about Bitcoin for me is it has a, you know what the future looks like. It's mathematically provable. It ha The runway is known. You can go online and see exactly what emissions of new Bitcoins look like, what the uh, the rate of that looks like. And it is, uh, it is secured by this crazy network of computing power and uh, that no single person controls. And this is like, this is one of the number one things that I love about it and uh, why I'm so much uh, more excited about putting my money into this vehicle than dollars, for example, is, uh, is that decentralized, provable nature of it and taking the control away from people who I don't know and particularly you know, trust mm -hmm. uh, with uh, making wise decisions about what happens to the currency. Um, so yeah, that, that is probably one of my top um, uh, points of my personal investing uh, uh, motivation behind me having money into into Bitcoin amongst all the other things I've already said but right so what you're referring to there is is you know at least locally the US Federal Reserve and Treasury their ability to print more money for yeah. essentially out of thin air uh, versus Bitcoin which the Bitcoin software has a known finite, quantity of total Bitcoin that will ever be in existence, which is 21 million Bitcoin. Is that right? 21 and million Bitcoin. So yeah. you know the end of that runway. The end of that runway is 21 million Bitcoin versus US dollars. The end of the runway, as far as we know, is somewhere in the fog. It's infinitely out there. It might never end. Yeah. And we had we had somewhat of a runway until that ended in the 70s when we disconnected from the gold standard. At least at that point in time, you could have a dollar and say it's tied to this hard asset, you know, this uh, this other asset. So when we make more dollars, we have to acquire more gold. Um, but ever since it, even that was flawed, but getting away from that now, it's literally just changing numbers in a computer and all of a sudden there's more dollars and all of a sudden things cost more and the money sitting in your bank is worth less. And, uh, and yeah, Bitcoin, you know exactly how much is going to be made uh, in a given day, month, year, uh, 10 years from now. It's all programmatic. And that's the whole zero, you know, it's got a zero terminal velocity inflation rate. You know exactly how many more are going to be made. There's no uh, acceleration or anything there. There's no surprises there. And I like no surprises. I mean, one, one question I see thrown about a lot is, okay, so you have Bitcoin. We have all these other cryptocurrencies. A, how do we know that Bitcoin is going to be the predominant cryptocurrency in 100 years? And, and kind of a, a parallel question to that is, is how do we know, uh, why can't I just create my own cryptocurrency and have it become valuable? Which is something we, I feel like we've seen in the last couple months with some of these meme coins and, uh, pardon my French, shit coins and scam coins, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so there's, there's thousands of other cryptocurrencies. There's going to be thousands more, mm -hmm. um, I think. 98% of them are all going to fail and go to zero. Um, and the answer is one, I don't know. Um, I don't know that it's knowable that, you know, Bitcoin is going to be the predominant cryptocurrency 20 years from now. I think it is. I believe it's going to be, but there's, you know, no definitive way to know that. Uh, what I think it has going for it is it has a network effect, unlike any other crypto uh, currency by far. Mm -hmm. um, it has the largest market cap. It has the most uh, amount of people working on it, has the highest adoption rate. Um, it is the one that's being purchased by institutions and companies on their uh, balance sheet. Um, none of the other ones are. There's just so much momentum. 
And so, yeah, you can uh, create a currency that is uh, faster and has all these features that Bitcoin doesn't, but good luck getting it adopted. Um, you know, Bitcoin was anonymously developed and released onto the world. And I believe it was fairly um, released onto the world as fairly as you possibly can with something like that. Whereas almost everything else since then, it's just not possible necessarily to uh, release it as fairly onto the world. Um, and it just has so many of these factors uh, going for it and this momentum going for it. I think it's going to be a very tough uphill battle uh, to uh, overcome it uh, with another currency. Also, I think that most of the things that people talk about when it comes to other currencies being faster or more convenient or got a better app or whatever, these are all things that people, very smart people, people far high above my pay grade and IQ grade uh, develop, are developing and working on, on Bitcoin right now. There's some incredible payment technologies and um, the layer two technologies like Lightning Network, mm -hmm. uh, the just listening some podcasts uh, about uh, developers who are working on this stuff. It's just unbelievable the, uh, the features and abilities of Bitcoin when you start building other stuff on top of it to solve these problems. So most of the things that people are saying, you know, what about this currency? What about that one? These are all things that are either known problems, not actually an issue, or currently being worked on on Bitcoin at the moment. Um, also, the the hash rate across the globe, the, the power behind securing and maintaining the network is just unbelievable. Uh, there's just just so much weight being shoved behind uh, Bitcoin in its 11 years um, run since it, it started that I just don't personally see it mm -hmm. um, being overtaken anytime soon. No, that, it makes sense. And it was a bit of a, a devil's advocate question there. And one comparison I think of in my head as you're describing that, Andy, is uh, people could say, well, why is the NBA the biggest basketball league? Who's to say that, you know, Andy and I couldn't start our own basketball league? We call it, you know, the Twitter YouTube basketball league, and we beat the NBA. Well, the NBA is entrenched, right? It has all yeah. this momentum going for it. And for you to unseat them is, is going to be really hard. And it feels like the same thing is going on with, with Bitcoin, at least for the foreseeable future. I don't know. I feel like our Twitter, uh, our Twitter basketball league has a real chance, Jesse. <laughs> Starting at point guard, we have Shadow Rural Rents America. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> All right, Andy. Um, <laughs> let's transition over to some rapid fire questions. The first one: What is the last material object or personal luxury that you spent a hundred dollars or more on? So uh, this week I purchased a new set of AirPods. Cool. It's just out in San Francisco and everybody was wearing AirPods. It, I mean, they're taking over. You know, it's one of those things that when they first came out, I thought they were, they were dumb and I didn't want any part of them. And then I got a set and then I started using them for all my phone calls and stuff. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. These okay. just work. They're great. And then, uh, but you know, is that a necessity? I'm uh I try to tell myself that this wasn't just a luxurious purchase. Uh, the, the batteries on my other ones had finally given up the ghost. So it gotcha. was time. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. They're cool technology. Um, this one is either very appropriate or maybe even a couple weeks dated at this point. But what is your end of pandemic celebration going to look like? So, I mean, we're already kind of doing some celebrating. We're already hanging out with friends and yep. family and stuff. We're all... Uh, vaccinated and stuff, and and uh, we're we're excited about seeing people again. I think me and my wife personally, we uh, we had our ten year anniversary last year, and right as this thing was like getting off the ground and really uh, hitting the news cycle, we had planned to travel abroad for our ten year, and uh, that obviously didn't work out, didn't happen, and so I think as soon as we get through our busy season with our business, um, we are looking to go somewhere travel again thinking about if japan lets americans back in we really want to go there we looked at uh we were looking at vietnam initially um yeah somewhere in that realm of the world but we don't know but it'll yeah. be fun we're looking forward to it cool cool i hope and congratulations on your anniversary by the way sorry that it happened mid-pandemic um can't control these things Jesse. <laughs> I, I hear you i understand i it's not as fun as an anniversary but my 30th birthday was in late March 
of last year, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then 31st was this March. So I missed two birthdays. So I have to make up for some, some lost celebrations there. Well, mine is just, uh, just right at Christmas. So I have a childhood of missing birthdays. <laughs> so I feel you. <laughs> no, it's your birthday gift, Andy. This one, this one's for your birthday. Happy birthday. Merry Christmas. <laughs> um what is your go-to andy for a simple and delicious meal bonus points if you cook it yourself i mean my one of my absolute top favorite foods and something we eat a lot of probably too much of is the hamburger uh here in austin we have like a million great burger places so uh cook it myself sure i can we i guess we have on occasion but that's when we just go to any one of the spots and snag one usually a milkshake too and uh cool well speaking of uh this is for you and also for our friend roger i am going to be in austin in september maybe we'll have to grab a burger um it's the the fincon fincon the conference of financial content creators is in is in austin in september i don't know if if you're fyi if you're interested in going i had Um, not heard of that yeah but yes burgers and beer cool sign me up Sign me up. All right. Uh, what's one good habit you're trying to form or a bad habit you're trying to break? So I had a great habit um, in the past few years of uh, I got into um, swimming laps in the mornings. And uh, ever since the pandemic happened, that kind of fell by the wayside. So that is one I'm just about to break back into and try to reestablish because um, I'm not like huge into like exercise and stuff. I mean, I do we go on lots of walks and I do my push-ups and sit-ups and all of, you know, the normal stuff to keep myself relatively fit. But uh, we're not, I'm not a big like bodybuilder. I don't lift weights and stuff, but swimming is the one exercise that I genuinely enjoy. And um, I hate being like super crazy hot and sweaty and it regulates your body temperature. It's like the perfect thing uh, works for, I'm a, I'm a tall guy. So it works for my body type too. So I'm really want to get that habit reestablished. Um, and then uh, one, a, a bad habit that I'm working on is uh, all the stuff we just talked about. I got to get, I got to spend less time on Twitter, probably less time on YouTube recreationally. Uh, it's just so easy to get addicted and just fall into there. And I'm like, oh, but I'm building, you know, I'm building a presence here. I'm building a brand. This is work, but really it's, you know, borderline at best sometimes with the amount of effort put into it. So getting better about actually putting in my good productive focus time on these things and then getting out and putting focus productive time elsewhere instead of just wasting away my day replying to tweets and stuff. That is 100% true. They get you by convincing you, well, really you convince yourself that it's adjacent to your work. It's yeah. just, it's very far adjacent. And at some point I have certainly had to tell myself, just write your blog post, record your podcast, get in front of more readers because right now, you know, Twitter reaches its it's maximum. It, it flattens out at some point when time put in compared to results you get out. I hear you and, there. And not only is it adjacent to feeling like, you know, you're doing effort for your your work or whatever, but it has that dopamine hit when you get those yeah. likes and those retweets and stuff. So just like your brain is actually being wired to like say, this is good. I need to do more of this. Correct. Correct. Right. And you need to tell, you need to tell yourself better than that. I feel you there. Um, last one, Andy. What is a message that you'd put on a billboard to share with the world? What would you say? So my initial gut reaction to this is one of my mantras, um, but I feel like I probably wouldn't, this, this wouldn't actually be my answer. Uh, but my initial thought was um, no one is coming to save you. It's all on you. Because I believe in deep respect personal responsibility. And that's one of my things. It's like, I have to remind myself that it is my job to fix my situation and um, make myself better and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like that as a billboard is maybe a little insensitive or misconstrued. Uh, and so I would say that my actual answer for the billboard is a, an adjustment of that, which would be um, bet big on yourself. I think it's the same, like same message basically, but maybe a little less, maybe a little more positive. Right, right. Uh, but all my best decisions in life have been going big on uh, betting on some venture, dream, thought, whatever with myself and going with my gut. 
And I think a lot of people will be better served if they stopped doing what the world is telling them to do and started uh, thinking their own thoughts and dreams and acting on those things. Mm -hmm. So many people out there that you know will give you this this level of respect that, that you don't necessarily anticipate when you start betting on yourself. Something I found in my work is that people who, who I always knew were my friends or my associates, people who I liked, once they started reading my work or consuming my work, they kind of said, whoa, like this project is really cool. And it's really cool that you're doing it. And I bet you found the same thing, Andy. So I love that. Bet big on yourself. For sure. All right, Andy, thank you so much. How can people reach you? Well, YouTube and Twitter. On YouTube, I'm your friend, Andy. And I'll probably pop up if you type that into Twitter too, but my actual handle is, oh, hi, Andy, H-A-I, because your friend Andy is taken and it is a suspended account. So we'll see if I ever get that one. Good luck. I hope you do get it. Andy, thank you so much for your time today. This was a fantastic conversation and uh, I'm excited for people to, to hear it. Thanks for having me, Jesse. This was a blast. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Another huge thanks goes out to Andy. I highly recommend you guys check out his YouTube channel, Your Friend Andy, or his Twitter account, at Andy, both of which I've linked to in the show notes. Reminder, guys, we love answering your questions here on the podcast, and I'd be happy to make my guests help me out in the future. If you want to send in your question, our email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can follow me on Twitter, username bestinterest underscore jc. Additionally, you can go to the podcast page on the blog, and I now have this handy little tool called SpeakPipe that allows you to record your question so then you can hear it live on air. It's pretty cool. If you guys keep listening, I will keep producing. It's the happy little relationship we have, and you know the usual drill. The Best Interest is a business, and it does help my business out when you listen, when you leave a rating and review, or when you subscribe to the podcast. So if you find this valuable and you want to give back, that's how you can do it. And it's all free for you. Absolutely free. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others is investing in their knowledge. So thank you all. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of the Best Interest Podcast. Um. But um, lost my train of thought there for a second. No worries. No worries. Um, oh, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs>